Thanks for joining us here at Summit Church, where our mission is to see changed lives that change the world. We want to see people connect with Jesus, enter into a growing relationship with Him and others, and discover their purpose so they can serve the world around them. If you have any questions or would like more information, please visit our website at summitelkins.com. Thanks again for joining us. Here is this week's message. So who has ever... This is nothing too personal, so you can actually raise your hand. <laughs> Who has ever, um, when you're waiting in line for the drive-thru and the line is just too long, who has ever just kept driving? Anybody ever done that? What about like when you get to the restaurant and you see that the line is already wrapped around the building, you just keep on driving because nobody needs a Big Mac that bad, right? We've all done that. What about whenever you, we walk into the doctor's office and the waiting room is packed? And we just immediately get frustrated. Anybody been there? And you see, (laughs) just get better. That works. That works. You see, man, they're behind. Now I'm going to have to reschedule my whole day. And this just isn't going to go well. That's frustrating, right? What about, and this is the one that really gets me, that dreaded moment where we realize that we are going to have to call customer service. Oh, yeah, right? Everybody feels that way. So we make it through the automated system where we had to hit three and then five and then one and then our birthday and then our phone number and then our social security number, right? We make it through all of that and we finally think, I'm going to get to talk to someone. And then you hear, wait times are currently Longer than normal due to high call volume. Current wait time is 84 minutes. And you're like, what? How can this be happening? I thought I was finally going to get to talk to someone. And then you have to listen to the horrible elevator music for the next 84 minutes, right? And then you may or may not ever get to talk to someone. And you may or may not ever get your problem fixed. I'm telling you the rage that just wells up within me in those moments. Jesus, help me, right? But my point is, who likes to wait? We don't. We live in such an instant society where everything is fast and efficient, and we're not used to having to wait very long for anything. We can do almost everything online. We can pay our bills. We can file our taxes. We can renew our registration. In some cities, you can even order your groceries and then just drive up to the store, and they'll put them in your car. Can't wait for that, right? I know. In some places, you can either even order fast food and have it delivered to your house. I mean, come on. All the information that we could ever want is literally at our fingertips, right? So we don't like to wait. We are not used to it. It makes things massively convenient, but it also makes us really impatient and unwilling to wait on anything. You know, patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit, but in all of these practical things of life, so often we don't have to exercise it. So when it comes to the, the real things of life, we don't, we've forgotten how. We don't know how to be patient. So I'm going to share with you about something this evening that I've walked through many times in my life, and I currently find myself in a place where I'm walking through it again. And that is just waiting on God and being faithful to believe that he is going to be there and that he is so present, even all throughout the journey. Right now, Kevin and I are in the waiting for some things, and sometimes I really struggle with the faith to believe that those circumstances will ever change. I'm a really analytical person. I'm a math person, so I love it when I can just apply a set of steps or apply a formula, and everything works out the way that it's supposed to, right? That's awesome, 
And that's really great if you're in my classroom. But in real life, that's not the way it works, right? We can't just plug our circumstances into a formula and expect that they're going to work out right. Faith is one of Kevin's highest spiritual gifts, and that is awesome because it is not one of mine. It is something that I really struggle with. Isn't that awesome how God puts us together? But <laughs> but um, it's great because I really struggle with that, and I need him to bring me up in, the, in that way. But sometimes the little analytical devil on my shoulder thinks that Kevin is being absolutely ridiculous to believe you cannot possibly believe the things that are coming out of your mouth right now when the circumstances are so clearly opposite, right? But then, unfortunately for me and Kevin, sometimes the analytical twit on my shoulder does not just think those things, but they come flying out of my mouth, and I tell him how ridiculous he's being. I'm sure I'm the only one that's ever done that, right? Yeah, that's just me. Thought so. Um, We laugh, but when I allow myself to do that, I downplay the gift that God has given Kevin in favor of my immense reasonability. And last time Kevin spoke, he talked about losing the logic. And that spoke to me big time because that's something that I really struggle with. There is so much truth in that. And we would never say it out loud But so many times in those moments where we're waiting on God, we think we know better, right? Yeah, we think that we know how it should have played out. We know what should have happened by now. Maybe what he's asked us to do is really scary. Or maybe it requires a huge step of faith. Or maybe he's not saying anything at all. And we're just waiting on him to stop being silent. I don't know what your situation is, but I do know that you've been in a situation where you're waiting on God, and I know that you'll be in one again. Maybe it's something small, like asking God to give you tolerance for that coworker that just gets under your skin. Everything they say just makes you cringe, right? We all, we, everyone's nodding and waving their hankies. Yeah, we all have those. Maybe it's just that um, you're asking God to make you hate chocolate ice cream because you don't want to eat too much and you want to lose a few pounds. I've got some hanky waving for that one too. But maybe it's something big. Maybe um, you your marriage is suffering and you both want to fix it, but you just don't know how. Or maybe... You've been waiting on that healing for a really long time, and you believe that you're doing all the right things. We're all waiting for something, big or small. We're always looking for that next big thing, right? We love living from peak to peak. So when we're a teenager, we can't wait to get out of our parents' house, right? That wasn't true for me, by the way. I've got great parents. (laughs) Um, But we're always wishing that we could... Uh, either get our first job or go to college. And then we get to college and we think, man, it would be really great to have some free time and not have to study and to have a real job and to have some real money. And then we get that first real job and we realize that nobody in the world has more free time than college students. And that once we have a real job and real money, we also have real bills and that's a drag. And, And then... You know, maybe 
the next, then, the, then we wish we'd get married and then we wish we'd have kids and then we're waiting for the promotion and then we're waiting to retire and then we're waiting to die. I mean, what's next, right? <laughs> so we're always, our, all, of our, all of our journeys and all of our goals and all the things that we want are a little bit different, but we, we all have these things that we're wishing for. We've all been guilty of just wishing that God would take us to that next big thing, that next peak. And then when we get there, it's inevitable that we realize the challenges that come along with that season and we want the next peak. We're never satisfied. And when we're in the waiting, we have to embrace every moment and realize that God's desire is not the end goal. His desire is the process. His goal is the process. His goal is to shape us through the journey, to build our character, to show us things about ourselves that we need to learn for the, maybe for the next season. We're so bad at waiting and we don't know how to handle it when we're in it. We're bad at just sitting with God and letting him teach us in the moments where we haven't received our promise yet. But what does he ask us to do in those moments? He says, be still and what? Know that I am God. That's all he asks us to do. So I want you to take a minute and think about that big thing in your life. What's your mountain? What are you waiting on right now? Are you still trusting God for it? Or maybe you're in a place where your faith has has wavered. If you're struggling to be patient and you're wondering what you're supposed to be feeling through this process... You're not alone. Fortunately for us, we are not the first ones to have these questions and to feel this way and to feel these struggles. There are a lot of places in the word that talks about this, but tonight we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. So this is Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a hot mess express, okay? They... They were extremely corrupt city, but they had heard the gospel and they wanted to respond to it. But in in the meantime, they found out that all these things that they had been doing their whole life are not going to fly when you're in a relationship with Jesus. So they're feeling pretty overwhelmed right now. And in this, as they're waiting for this second letter from Paul, they are probably definitely in the waiting for some good news. Okay. So we're going to start with verse three says, God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us all in our trouble so that we can comfort others. So far, so good. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Run that by me again, Paul. I must have misheard you. Um, the more we suffer, the more comforted we'll be. Here is where the analytical devil on my shoulder starts screaming that that's, that doesn't make any logical sense, right? Okay, I'm still listening, Paul, but I'm a little skeptical if I'm going to be honest. So verse 6 says, Even when we're weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. Okay? So if we suffer, we'll be comforted. All right? But Paul, you don't know what I've been through. 
You don't know what my mountain is. You don't know what I'm facing. Well, I've got news for you. Paul is the wrong guy to say that to because Paul is such a one-upper, right? If anybody knows how to be in the waiting, it is Paul. There is nothing that you can say to Paul that he can't beat, right? And so um, so uh, he goes on to say at the end of verse 8, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. This is just as true for Paul as it is for us. Chances are you are not being persecuted to the point where you literally think you're going to die. Would I be correct in saying that? That's probably not your situation. But it was Paul's situation, and he was still able to have faith in the waiting and believe that he could trust God through it. And verse 9 is so key. It says, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God, and he rescued us from mortal danger. He'll do the same for you, but the key is that they stopped relying on themselves. It takes faith to live out this life and to, um, to wait things out when we don't know the outcome. There are so many heroes in the Bible, heroes of the faith that we read about. Think about the most told and retold stories of the Bible. If you grew up in church, the stories you learned in Sunday school or at vacation Bible school, Sometimes we become really desensitized to those stories because we hear them so often. And we forget, we, we think that those people are characters and we forget that they were real people. But there's so much power in their stories. So think about this. Moses didn't know that when he was standing in front of the Red Sea, that if he, when he held up his staff, that the waters were going to part and he was going to be able to lead his people to safety. Daniel didn't know that if he refused to bow to the king, that God would rescue him from the lion's den. In fact, he was probably thinking as he was getting thrown into the lion's den, well, I did the right thing, but for whatever reason, God chose not to rescue me. But how much more powerful is his, is his story because God waited until he was already in there? What about Abraham? I bet as he was walking up that mountain with Isaac to sacrifice him, that he didn't have a whole lot of faith to believe that God was going to provide a replacement for that sacrifice. But he did it anyway. What about Joshua? He didn't know as he was marching his army around Jericho, that the walls were going to fall. He sure hoped they would, or else he was going to look like a fool to all of these people that were putting their trust in him. But we look back on their stories and we think, it must have been so easy for them to have faith. But that's ridiculous. They were people. Just like us, they had no idea when they were in those moments how their, how their story was going to end. Moses didn't have Exodus to read and know that that part of his story was going to work out. We need to read the Bible like we don't know how it ends. 
We need to put ourselves in those scenarios where they were probably feeling a lot of fear and a lot of doubt and see that they did the hard things anyway. We need to look at our situations the same way. We might be in the waiting, but we walk around Jericho if God asks us to, knowing that God knows that he's going to make the walls fall even when we don't. So let's just take Moses for a second and expand on that scenario just a little bit. Pretend that we don't know how that part of Moses' story ends. So imagine you're reading a drama. You're reading this really dramatic book. And the main character is leading a massive group of people away from their enemies. They're being chased. And they come to this large body of water. They can't cross it. There's no bridge. There's no boat. It doesn't look good, right? You're probably on the edge of your seat. You're getting a little nervous because you don't know the bad guys are coming. And then suddenly, the main character holds up his staff as if that's going to do anything. You'd probably think, okay, you might want to be maybe doing something a smidge more proactive. In this moment, the staff might not be the best choice. But then the water starts to bubble and it starts to move in an unnatural way. And suddenly the people that are fleeing their enemies are no longer looking at their enemies, but they turn around and they see the craziest thing they've ever seen in their entire lives unfold. Where there was just a sea, there's a path. And before they even realize what, what is happening, they probably have to pick their jaws up off the ground before they even have the sense to start running. Certain death became a miraculous victory. That's Exodus, guys. But it doesn't take any faith for us to read that story because we know how it ends before we ever start. We've heard that story our whole lives. But we need to read those stories feeling the need for faith that the heroes of the Bible had to feel in those moments in order to become the people that we still talk about. If they didn't have that faith, we wouldn't know their names. We wouldn't tell those stories. We wouldn't teach those stories to our kids. God honors that greatly, and he honors our willingness to trust him in the waiting, to trust him in knowing that even in the hard things, he knows the end. He reads our story the way that we read the Bible. He already knows how it ends. We need to trust him the way that the heroes of the faith did. So when you're in the waiting, sometimes we see a decrease in God's visibility. Sometimes we want to hear him more or see him more or for him to tell us the next step. We don't hear him as much as we'd like to, but that doesn't decrease his power. Sometimes when we don't see him, it's because he's positioning himself between us and our enemy. He wants us to see that by faith and not by sight. Scripturally, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's not fear. It's sight. Faith is the key to our salvation. So we shouldn't lose it once we're saved and and not going to hell anymore. Faith is the first thing that God asks from us when we come into his family. 
He asked for us to have the faith to believe that he raised Jesus from the dead. That's how we become a Christian. And so that should be a foreshadowing that we're going to need that a lot as we walk with Jesus. The word faith appears approximately 250 times in the Bible. That varies a little bit based on translation. But the point is that God knew that we were going to need it a lot. He gave us this great tool to use, but he expects us to use it. So when everything is going great, sometimes we don't make a lot of space for that. I was recently listening to an interview with Blake Mykoski, and he is the founder of Tom's Shoes. If you don't know about Tom's Shoes, they're a company that gives a pair of shoes away for every pair of shoes that they sell. And this idea was birthed out of a need that Blake saw when he was on a mission trip, and he wanted to do something about it. But he was talking about the faith that it took to get started, not knowing if it was going to take off, if his idea was going to work, and if he was going to get to give shoes to kids just one time and be one and done. He didn't know. In the beginning, he was in the waiting. It took him a lot of faith. Of course, you probably have heard of Tom's Shoes, and his company has expanded greatly. He's given away over 86 million pairs of shoes over the past 13 years because of that step of faith. And he's also been able to expand, and now he's taken on other causes. It's a, it's a great um, company. But in this interview, he was talking about how when we become really successful, sometimes we don't exercise our faith anymore. And so even when things are really good, we need to always be finding ways to put our faith into action. It's easier to live with a pure heart and a pure focus before we arrive. Because at that point, we're totally dependent on our faith. But once we have the comforts of success, sometimes our need for faith goes away. It doesn't, but we act like it does. So we need to remain steadfast and recognize the opportunity that we have to grow when we're in the waiting and when we're not. So when you are in the waiting, you have so much opportunity to build your faith and actually live it out. You need God perspective. You need to take your eyes off of yourself and try to see things from his perspective. Now, that's not something that we can ever fully achieve because we're not God. We can't see what he sees. But he knows you so much better than you know yourself. And so he protects our hearts from knowing things that our minds can't handle. He protects us from knowing things that we're not ready for yet. He's a good God. So even when we think that he should have told us something by now, we should be further along in our journey by now. Maybe he's protecting you from something that you're not ready for. We have to realize that more growth happens in the waiting than in the blessing. So when we're in the waiting, we have so much more opportunity for growth than when things are going really well, when we're being blessed, when the favor of God is being poured out on us. You have to recognize that you are where you are for a reason. You're in the season you're in because he has something for you to do. Think about creation. God didn't start that plan. He didn't start it without a plan for its completion. 
He didn't just start speaking things into existence before he knew the whole thing. He had the whole thing mapped out before he ever spoke one word into existence. And the good news for us is that God is nothing if he's not consistent. He doesn't change. So when he starts something in us, he's already finished it before we ever see the first step. God is always fighting for us. One of my all-time favorite scriptures is Psalm 1839. It says, you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. That happens before the battle ever starts. You don't go onto the battlefield and then put your armor on once the fight has already started. You do that before you ever step onto the battlefield. But it says, you have armed me. That says he's already done it. And then it says, you have subdued. That's past tense. You have subdued my enemies under my feet. That's before the battle ever starts. God doesn't start something that he hasn't already finished. His word promises that he goes ahead of us and makes provision for the future steps of obedience that he's going to ask us to take later. He's already gone ahead and made provision for those things. You might not like it, but if God has you where you are, there's a reason. So instead of having a pity party, spend some time seeking God and ask him why he has you in the season that you're in. Maybe you're here because someone that you're going to come in contact with in this season doesn't know Jesus. Maybe your waiting is tied to their salvation. I think that's a small price to pay. There's a reason you are where you are, but know that God brought you through the battle before you ever knew you were in one. In God's eyes, the waiting was over before it ever began. We operate under time, but God doesn't. So you have to ask yourself, what are you supposed to learn? Who are you supposed to help? What characteristics are you supposed to develop in yourself in this time? What testimony are you going to have on the other side of it? When we're in the waiting, it can be really hard to have that perspective. And as I was preparing, I ran across an article on a customer service blog. And it was about the psychology behind waiting. This is a secular blog, but I felt that it drew some really great spiritual parallels. So the writer discussed um, how occupied time feels shorter than unoccupied time. So if we have something to do, we feel like time goes faster, right? Lots of people nodding to that. And then she also said that perceived wait time is longer than actual wait time. Right? So when we're standing in line or waiting in that drive through line that we already drove out of, um, we think that we've been waiting for a lot longer than we actually have. Think about when you were little and going on a road trip. If you had to be in the car for a long time, it was always a lot better for everyone if mom remembered to bring activities, snacks, games, if you had a coloring book or if you played a travel game or some of us younger folks might have even had a DVD player in the car, everybody in the car was happier. But um, we might have even, 
our parents probably thought that they wanted to like throw us out the window about the 52nd time that we said, are we there yet? <laughs> and some, a lot of you have kids and I'm sure that your children have returned the favor anytime you're in the car for longer than 20 minutes. Of course, this was never a problem for me growing up because I got to stop and see the scenery every 20 minutes as long as Ron Phillips was driving because he can't even make it to Clarksburg without a bathroom break. <laughs> so I've got to see all the scenery in every state we've ever been to. Shopped at every antique store. All the, all the gas stations. I've seen them all. Anyway, in this blog, the writer referenced complaints that had been made at the Houston airport of travelers having to wait too long to get their baggage at baggage claim. So they brainstormed. And what did they end up doing? They ended up, this is real, they ended up moving baggage claim further away from the gates so that the people, it took longer for them to get to baggage claim so that they had to wait less time. So I can just imagine this meeting. So they're in this meeting. All the executives are gathered around the conference table. And the conversation probably starts something like, uh, okay, we need to figure out how to make the baggage retrieval more efficient. Maybe we need to get better conveyor belts so that the, the bags get from the passengers to baggage claim faster. And then the guy that walked into the meeting late and he doesn't have a tie, and he's got donut crumbs on his wrinkly shirt, that guy stands up. And he says, well, what if we did this? What if we move baggage claim further away so that people have to walk further, so they have to wait less? And after he probably almost gets laughed out of the meeting, they start kind of looking at each other, and they're like, this is so crazy. It just might work. <laughs> so this, that's real. They really did. The, the meeting is not real, but that's what they really did. And guess what? The complaint stopped. People did not complain. They were not upset that they had to walk further. In fact, most of them probably didn't even know they had to walk further. They were just happy because they didn't have to wait as long. The writer of the blog said, since perceived wait time feels longer than actual wait time, according to research, some cust or customers need something to do. They have to be proactive, not idle. The travelers in Houston had something to do while they waited. Walk. That's true in our faith. We have to walk when we're in the waiting we cannot just stay still. Here's something that you need to remember. The enemy is not threatened by what you know. He is only threatened by what you do. What are you doing in the waiting? Maybe you've been there for a long time. Maybe you're tired. Maybe your attitude is no longer great. Maybe you've stopped serving in church. But what does that tell the enemy? It tells him that he's won. It tells him that as long as he can keep you right where you are, that you are not a threat to him. The victory belongs to him. 
But when you fight back, when you walk in the waiting, when you keep coming to church, when you keep serving in church, when you keep declaring victory over your situation, the enemy has no other weapons. He's terrified because he doesn't know how to keep you down. We have to act on what we know because simply knowing what we should do is not, it's never going to be enough. We have to actually do it. When we're in the waiting, we cannot just sit back and wait for God to move our mountains while we wallow in self-pity and eat the chocolate ice cream that we asked him to make us hate. (laughs) When we do that, we are not positioning ourselves to allow God to move. Not only that, but when we're idle, the wait is going to seem so much longer. Even the world knows that. And that blog we just read. There are a lot of practical things that we can do to build our faith. And we've touched on some of those this evening, but I want to focus on one as we come to a close. I want to give you one practical thing to take away. We'll see. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to do this. Think about what you're waiting on. Go home and write a declaration of victory over that situation. Write it as if you have already won the battle, as if it's truth. And for one week, for seven days, I want you to declare that over yourself. Read it out loud over yourself as if it is reality. In one week, your situation might not change. If you do it for one year, your situation might not change. But you know what will change? Your attitude. Your perspective. I can guarantee that if you begin to speak life over yourself, your attitude will change. And as I said earlier, I'm there. I'm in the waiting. And about a month ago, I did this. I wrote down a whole bunch of declarations that are specific to the things that I'm believing for. I put them on my bathroom wall and I speak them over myself and over ourselves every morning. And let me tell you, to be really honest with you, I haven't seen a whole lot of change in those things in the natural yet. But what I have seen is a change in my perspective, is a change in the fact that I believe that God wants to do those things, that he will do those things, that he's big enough to do those things. It's building my faith. It's totally changed my perspective from when I just sat around and hoped that those things would change, but I didn't do anything about it. I have more patience in the waiting than I did by doing this. Declaring victory over our circumstances in faith confuses the enemy and it takes away his power completely. He's confused. He has no idea what to do with that. We don't know God's timeline and honestly, we couldn't change it even if we did. But we can change our perspective. We can choose faith. We can choose to speak victory. We can choose to speak life. 
So as we finish up tonight, we have an opportunity. Maybe you're in the waiting right now. Maybe you're not. But if you're not, you will be. What are you going to do with that? Imagine how your family would change if you started declaring life over them and over yourself. Imagine how things would change if you did it together as a family. Imagine how our church would change if every member of our church family was doing this on a regular basis. Imagine how that would impact our community. This one small thing could have such a large, reaching, lasting impact. I'm speaking to myself tonight because this is a really hard thing for me because faith requires us to see beyond reason. But that's just it. God works beyond our comprehension, beyond the things that we classify as possible, and beyond what we see as reasonable. For some of you, this may come really naturally, but for me, it's a choice. And I'm sure that I'm not alone in that. Maybe you've been waiting on something for a really long time, but you can rest in knowing that God has already executed the entire battle plan before you ever saw that there was a need for a war. Are you in the waiting? Know that he has not forgotten you. And ask him, what are you supposed to take away from this season? What are you spo- how are you supposed to grow? How is your character supposed to be shaped? He's faithful to show you when you ask, even if he knows that you're not ready to see how the story ends yet. Trust him. He's in the waiting, like we just sang earlier. He's right there with us. Let him walk you through it. Let him hold your hand. Trust and know that you're on a journey of faith, but that you're not on it alone. He hasn't left you there. Trust that he's right beside you, even when you're still in the waiting. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are always with us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, And that even in times when we're in the waiting, when we've lost our faith, when we need courage, God, that you are there. You are moving in our midst. You're moving on our behalf and you are always fighting for us. We thank you, God, that you have already executed the whole plan before we ever see that we're in a need for a war. And God, I pray that as we go from this place tonight, that you would bring back to remembrance these things. God, that you would just um, convict us to speak victory over ourselves, to speak life over ourselves and our families and our church and our community. And God, that we would be able to see the impact that it has when we do that. We thank you. We trust you. And we just honor you in this. And we ask that you would just be with us as we go from this place tonight and help us to always remember that you're right there with us in the waiting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can go home.
Thank you.